The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. How's that for a cheery verse to start the week? I'm guessing that uh, it's pretty apparent what I want to deal with this morning. In this series, uh, some things we may have forgotten. I want to talk this morning about the implications of sin in the fall, reacquainting ourselves with those key biblical truths, not in a way that exhausts it, the way that you will in your theology classes or your apologetics class, thinking through all of those details, or not digging in necessarily to all the intricate details of the Genesis 3 passage. You'll do that in your Old Testament classes. But I do want to provide you some perspective on this idea of sin and the implications of sin in the fall for you and I in the way we live, in the way we think, even in the way that you will think on these issues as it comes up in your classes. And so this morning, on a cheery Monday morning, I want to talk about sin. Why did I put this in some things we may have forgotten? I mean, good grief, what Christian has forgotten about sin? How could we do that? We just sang, right? Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. As Christians, we give assent to, we believe in the reality of sin. In fact, our own statement of faith here at the university reads this way. We believe that human beings were specially created by God to be perfect bearers of His image, but that through sin they alienated themselves from Him. Consequently, they have inherited a nature incapable of pleasing God and have incurred the certainty of physical death and the prospect of eternal punishment. That's in the statement of faith of this institution, the institution where you are studying, this institution that so many of us have graduated from. That's what we believe, like Christians believe. The reality of sin, the judgment resulting from it, the penalty for it and the need for redemption through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we hold to that. That's essential to our Christian beliefs, our Christian doctrine, the things that we hold to be true. Without the doctrine of sin, then the doctrine of salvation is moot. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not required. We don't need anything like that if we don't believe in sin. So, of course, as Christians, we would say we hold to sin and we acknowledge the reality of it. My question is more in thinking through the implications of sin in the fall for the way we think and live on a daily basis. And in that way, I do think that it's something that we've forgotten. In recent years, I've been in conversations with people who want to talk about the state of the world, and they will refer to it as messy. Now, the state of the world is a mess, but it's a lot worse than being messy. It is broken at its very core. It is torn apart by sin. It isn't just that the world is messy and our lives are full of rough edges. It's that sin entered the world and humankind fell. And the implications of that are profound and far-reaching. That's a sobering thought. And I think it's one that's worth considering and reflecting upon. We don't always want to do that. It's not a subject we want to dwell on or think about. 
But I do think that it's necessary for us to not forget. Sin and the fall are not things we can or should turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to simply because we don't like the reality. Acknowledging and understanding the reality and implications of sin and the fall are essential to our biblical worldview. They're essential to the way you think and live about your own individual life, about our life together, and about life in this world in general. Because as we'll see in the Genesis narrative, sin and the fall impact every area of life and existence. We can't outrun this truth or hide from it or wish it away. It is a reality, and we must deal with it. One of the things that I've always found striking about this account in Genesis where we see the fall is that when you actually think through what the implications are for Adam and Eve and for the world and for the earth as a result of God's judgment, it's pretty significant in terms of the impact. And it isn't just sort of a back there in a land far away or in a general sort of ethereal sense. It actually impacts our own daily lives. I mean, this is the burden the Apostle Paul feels, right? When he says, hey, the things I want to do, I don't, and the things I don't want to do, I just keep on doing. All of the exhortations in the New Testament to put off the old self and the sin that so easily corrupts, to embrace the new self, to live in reality of the gospel and all that's been accomplished for you in and through Jesus Christ. To the, that whole idea, what shall we say then? Shall, shall we sort of continue on in our sin? No, let us be dead to sin and alive in Christ. All of those realities, we deal with those realities in the here and now, in the way we live in this world, in a very practical sense. But in Genesis, we see that sin results in pain and suffering, in relational conflict, toil, death, and ultimately separation from God. As a result of sin in the fall, all of creation, humanity, and life is impacted. There's no part of it left untouched. That's just the reality of it. Think about this. Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. The idea that we miss the mark, that we fail to obey the commands of God, or we choose to disobey the commands of God, that's a harsh reality. And Adam and Eve are told they can have anything they want, like we began the series last time with creation. Anything you want in the garden except for this tree. The fruit of this tree is off limits. And as Dr. Porcella read for us, Satan, the serpent, comes and tempts Eve and says, oh, God doesn't want you to have this because then you'll be like him. You won't die as a result of it. And so the father of lies tempts Eve to break God's command and to eat of that tree which was forbidden to them. And she then takes the fruit to Adam, and he partakes of it. And sin enters the world. And in this account that was read for us, something interesting happens. It says that God went looking for them. It's very interesting. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid, him, hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Just think about this. Up until this point, everything was open between them and the Lord. But once sin enters in, their predisposition was to hide. Like Achan later in the Old Testament, like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, the tendency now as sin enters the world is to deceive and attempt to deceive even God himself, to hide themselves from him because they were afraid, because they were ashamed, but to actually come to this point where we think, I could hide this from God. They're hiding from God with whom they'd walked intimately prior to this. They're hiding from him. I mean, this idea that somehow God didn't know where they are is, I mean, God said, where are you for their benefit? Where are you? Over here, what are you doing? Hiding, why? Well, because... God knows the answer to all those questions. He isn't looking for Adam to give him information that he needs. He's actually wanting Adam to acknowledge that he's out of bounds. He's wanting Adam to acknowledge to God himself that he's made a decision to disobey and as a result now has gone into hiding. What ends up happening then after that in the verses that follow what was read is that God then passes judgment on sin. He can do nothing else. He's the perfect, righteous, holy one, the maker and sustainer of all things. And he gave them freedom to enjoy the garden, to live forever in peaceful, perfect harmony with him. They're deceived by the evil one, and sin enters the world, and they fall. And as a result of that fall, there is judgment. This is not a popular idea in the world in which we live, that God would pass judgment, but he's perfect. He cannot look upon sin. He cannot tolerate it. That's why he looks through the blood of his son Jesus at us and sees us as righteous. Sin is not possible with God. He cannot tolerate it, and so he judges it. And in judging this sin as a result of Adam and Eve's sin and the fall, there's a reach into every area of life. I have become convinced over the years that everything in this world that's off, and by that I mean the most egregious, scandalous, perverse kinds of things, but also other things, Illness, disease, chronic bad breath, all a result of the fall. Everything's perfect before that, and everything deteriorates as a result of it. The idea is that there's no part of human existence or life or this world that's beyond the reach, and we see that even in the judgment that God hands out. The serpent is changed forever. He's now cursed He says to the woman, your your pain in childbearing will now multiply. There's pain and suffering. There's change that results. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. There is relational conflict. Some versions refer to this as the contrary. Your desire will be for the contrary. Husband and wife, will, man and woman, will be pitted against one another now as a result of this. Something is broken. Adam will toil against thorns and thistles, the ground which so easily gave up 
its fruit will now require sweat on his face. And only by that will he eat. And then he says, out of dust you were taken, and to dust you shall return. There is physical death. And then as the passage goes on, God puts them out of the garden and posts a sentry that they may never return. They are separated from God. Sin and the fall are pervasive into every area of life. Adam and Eve are instantly changed, willing and able to deceive, ashamed, afraid, things they did not know prior to sin and the fall. You and I deal with those on a daily basis. This is when it all changes. As Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For the wages of sin is death, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Read through the book of Romans. It's very clear that sin is a reality that separates us from God. The punishment of it is death. It's sobering. Adam and Eve disobey God, and so sin enters the world, and the reality of this is impactful. Because in the next chapter, what we're going to see as a result of this sin is that one of their sons kills the other. Eve gives birth to two boys, Cain and Abel, and one kills the other because God didn't like his sacrifices as much as his brothers. And when God confronts Adam as he's hiding and says, what have you done? And he says, passes the buck, the woman you gave me, she did this. Where are you? I'm hiding. The Lord speaks to Cain who killed Abel. Where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? You and I continue to do the same thing. It's the struggle we have. Failing to acknowledge before God that we have sinned. It's hard for us. We're ashamed, we're afraid, we're proud. We think we can pull one over on God, but in these opening chapters of the Bible, we see the impact of sin is devastating and far-reaching. This mother watches one of her sons murder the other. It's a hard thing to run from. It's a hard thing to get our minds around this. That everything has changed. That everything that God created was good and perfect and in harmony is now broken and twisted and lost. Acknowledging and understanding the reality of sin and the fall submits us to God's authority and judgment. It explains the brokenness and evil around us. And it amplifies the goodness, grace, love, and mercy of God. This sobering thought of what happens in Genesis chapter 3 and again in chapter 4 as Cain kills Abel is not something that we should run from, but rather acknowledge and attempt to understand. Because what happens is that when we fail to do that, we fail to submit to God's authority. Remember, when we talked about creation, we have God speaking things into existence, giving Adam dominion over the earth, giving him work to do. All of that precedes the fall, but the fall changes everything except the fact that God still is our righteous judge 
our creator, our maker. He still is the one who holds perfect authority. And if we fail to acknowledge the reality of sin and the fall in this world, we are not submitting to his authority. Admitting to sin and the fall, acknowledging it, understanding its impact, is acknowledging God's authority. And that's absolutely essential to navigating life in this world because otherwise you'll find other things as the explanation for the ills and evils of this world. You'll consider God's sort of imposing judgment of sin and his righteous standards just that, an imposition, a repressive, a repressive attribute that's only meant to keep us under his thumb. And in so doing, you will mute the beauty and the extent of forgiveness and redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ as a result of his love and grace and mercy. If we're not honest about sin, all of those things happen to us, and it's problematic because we become desensitized to it. We start to accept things as, well, that's just the way it is, without seeing it's just the way it is because of sin in the fall. Because if it's just the way it is, then we just start to tolerate it and accept it in the world around us and ultimately in our lives. But God takes sin seriously, and he wants us to take sin seriously. He doesn't look the other way. He doesn't come along and say, well, Adam, let's get a do-over. God takes it seriously, and he wants us to take it seriously. When I talk to people and say, well, Jesus is much softer on this. Actually, when Jesus is speaking to the woman caught in adultery, what does he say at the end? Woman, where are your accusers? Go and what? Sin no more. The Lord Jesus cares about this and takes it seriously. He wants us to care and to take it seriously. But if we sort of hold to sin in the fall as just something that we give assent to as Christians without thinking about the implications of it for life and this world and for our own existence, then something gets lost. Something gets lost. Life and this world are not simply messy brothers and sisters. They're broken by sin and the fall. And though we may not like the word sin, the Bible doesn't give us the luxury of choosing another less burdensome term. If we fail, and I think this is critically important, if we fail to fully appreciate the implications of sin and the fall, we will tend to see all of the ills and evils of life and this world wrongly. And if we see them as sourced in anything other than sin in the fall, every remedy we seek will ultimately fail. The reality is, the thing that makes this so essential, the acknowledgement and understanding of sin in the fall so essential, is that it drives us back to Jesus. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. Sin and the fall change the world, change the creatures of the world, change our life in this world, change our relationships with one another, change our judgments, our attitudes, our evaluations, our view of God, our propensity to do the things we shouldn't do and to not do the things we should do. That's the reach of sin and the fall. What's the remedy? Go to Jesus. Embrace the grace and love and mercy that is ours in and through him. 
not only in terms of for our salvation and forgiveness, but for our Christian life. I promise you this, if you do not take sin seriously, it will be, as it was for Cain, crouching at the door for you. Taking it seriously means that we take it seriously and deal with it accordingly. I find it very interesting in reading the New Testament how often the Apostle Paul confronts sin, acknowledges the reality of sin, and warns people about it. Christian, we cannot simply hold this as a doctrinal statement. It has to affect the way that we live. We have to desire the love and goodness and grace and mercy of God because that's all there is to counter the reality of sin and the ills and evil that we face around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, on this Monday morning we uh, come before you acknowledging that too often in our own lives we do not take sin seriously. We make light of it. We are often willing to make light of it in our own lives and to not have a problem seeing it in the lives of others. And sometimes we see it in ourselves in a way that is crippling without recognizing that the whole world is broken and fallen. Father, we pray for the grace and the wisdom to think rightly about sin and the fall. To think rightly about your holy judgments. To think rightly about you and ourselves and this world when it comes to what ills us and the evil that surrounds us. We pray, Father, that in looking at this reality, we might be driven to reacquaint ourselves with your love and your goodness, with your mercy and your kindness, with your grace, with your Son, Jesus, whose blood was shed to pay the penalty for our sin. It is only in and through his sacrifice that we can claim redemption and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. Father, Give us what we need to be sober-minded Christians. Do not run from the hard realities of life in a fallen world, but rather run to you. Give us grace not to hide, but to come to you. With all that we struggle with, with the sins that entangle us, with the things that tempt us, with our dismissiveness, with our flippancy, with our hurtful thoughts and actions towards others, with our doubting your statutes and commands, with our failure to take your word seriously, and ultimately strengthen our faith that we might believe and that our belief would keep us from sin. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.